Welcome to the Sleepy Cues Podcast, where Linda Schmolowitz and Jessica Suiki will share answers to all your questions related to your children's sleep and parenting of young children. We are both certified gentle sleep coaches. Thanks for tuning in to hear the answers to the many questions that come up with the families we work with. Welcome to the Sleepy Cues Podcast. This is Linda Schmolowitz, owner of Sleep Tight Consultants. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about traveling through many time zones, particularly when it comes to traveling for international travel. So first of all, I just want to start off by saying that parents, especially of very small children who are choosing to go on international trips, maybe it's because you want to take a really nice vacation and you want to go someplace new and different and explore, or maybe it's because you're going to visit family that lives in another country. I just want to say that you are all brave souls for doing this. It's hard to travel through many time zones of children. They're, you know, not often as flexible as we would like them to be, although some children are way more flexible than we expect them to be. But it's hard on everyone. I mean, I find that travel with children in general, even if you're only going on a two-hour flight or you're taking a road trip, is still challenging. So give yourself plenty of credit for deciding to even take this trip. I always tell families when they ask about travel, the actual day of travel is really just about survival. It's about getting from point A to point B with all of your belongings and your sanity intact. So that is a pretty low bar, generally speaking, although some days it can feel harder than others to accomplish that. So as far as international travel I feel like for many families especially the ones that I work with where now their child's sleep is really going well now they want to know okay how do we take this on the road and sometimes that is just you know traveling a few hours away and sometimes it's a bigger trip than even just something that's still domestic and within your home country. So first and foremost, you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to set yourself up for success. So if you're using white noise at home, definitely I would make sure that you have something with you to produce that same white noise sound or something similar when you're traveling. Oftentimes we don't have as much control over our environment when we're not at home. And so if you're going to be in a hotel and there could be people walking on the floor above you or you're staying with family and there could be people that are loud that are around, having some sort of white noise can be really helpful with that environmental sound. For travel, I often recommend download a white noise app and have it on an iPad that you can leave plugged in in a room or on an old phone that you can take with you. You don't necessarily need to bring your whole white noise machine that you use at home with you. I would think about where your child will be sleeping when you're away. For international travel, I find that some cribs aren't as big, especially in Europe, as they are here in the United States. So make sure that that's a space that your child will fit in. You might find that even though grandma in London says that she has a crib for you, now it's actually not big enough for your toddler and it might be better to bring a pack and play with you or see what you might be able to get there. Maybe you might possibly be able to rent something. Are you going to be sharing a room with your child when you're away? This is just something I would think about in terms of if you don't want to end up co-sleeping with your child while you're gone, make sure that you have really firm boundaries set for what happens when your child wakes up in the middle of the night and how you're going to respond to them when they're in the room with you and they see that you're sleeping right nearby. It can be really helpful to know exactly what you're 
going to be doing so that you're not ending up putting them in your bed because it feels like the path of least resistance. One of my favorite things for travel, just in all circumstances, international or domestic, is a slumber pod. This is great because it creates a really dark environment for your child no matter where they're sleeping they could be in a brightly lit hotel room and they would have no idea it goes over the pack and play it's basically a blackout tent so these are awesome and this is also really helpful when you're room sharing so that your child doesn't necessarily look over and see like oh mommy and daddy are right there why am I over here so that can be super helpful If your plan is to co-sleep while you're away because you don't feel like you have anything that's realistic for your child to sleep in, then that means that when you get back home, you're going to have a little bit of work to do to get yourself back on track with independent sleep if this is what was happening before. You may know why you've put your child in the bed with you while you're gone, but your child doesn't understand that. So when you get back home, just know that you're going to have a little bit of, of getting back on track to do, and your child is probably going to be pretty upset that with you because you know in their mind what well, I, I sleep with mommy and daddy what am I doing back in my crib also very important don't forget if your child has a security object that they use at home make sure you bring it with you anybody who I've ever worked with before or moms who have been in a new moms group know that I am very adamant that that does not go in your checked luggage always always put it in your carry-on you do not want to arrive at your destination with with lost luggage and no blankie something that I actually learned the hard way we were in Hawaii and my son was you know 11 so this is a few years ago and he was sleeping in a bed and you know he had his blankie in the bed no big deal we left the hotel for the day came back people came to clean it and what I didn't realize is that hotels actually often change your sheets every single day even if you're coming back that night which is lovely and nice to have a clean bed to always sleep in however they didn't really pay attention to the fact that his blankie which maybe to them they might not have even noticed it was there or they might have thought it was like an old rag (laughs) which is kind of what it looked like and so they scooped it up with all of his bedding and off it went off to the linens department and never to be found again and thankfully he was 11 so even though he was very sad about it and spent several days going I miss blankie it wasn't so devastating that he couldn't sleep in fact I think he actually said can I sleep with one of my t-shirts and I was like sure that sounds great but had he been a toddler I might have been tempted to be like, that's it, we're going home where the backup blankie was because it could be really, really hard for a toddler, a strange environment to sleep without their special transitional object. Also, very important for travel, don't forget about your routines. Even if your environment is out of the ordinary, all of those routines are familiar and they're transportable. And those routines that you do before your child goes to bed, they are designed to help your child's brain know that it is time to sleep even when they're in a different time zone and even when their environment is strange. So those things that you do repeatedly every single day cause your child's brain to start producing melatonin, which is that hormone that allows them to fall asleep and stay asleep. So definitely still do your routine, even if it looks a little bit different when you're out of that familiar environment because you have to make a few modifications, that's okay. Or even, you know, if you have to shorten it a little bit because you're like, oh my God, this child is so tired. I need to get them to bed right now. That's okay, but still have some sort of a routine, something that triggers your child's brain to know that it's time to go to sleep. So 
here's the the sort of nitty-gritty about what to do about all of that jet lag that's now going to happen. And of course, as anybody who's ever gone on an international trip knows, the number of hours that you're traveling away from your home time zone can make a difference in terms of how long it takes your body to adjust. I would say that children actually adjust faster than adults, especially when they're still napping, because those naps allow them to catch up more quickly. But the actual day of travel is going to be a lot about survival. As I said before, you know, things to just know about air travel. If you have a very small child still, you usually can get a bassinet that attaches in the wall that separates the sections of the plane in the bulkhead. And so usually you can get a seat that's in that first row behind that wall, and then you can request the bassinet. Now, of course, there are a limited number of those. And so as soon as you book your travel, you always want to make that request pretty soon. And of course, whether or not you're going to use something like that is determined by whether your child still fits in a bassinet. As they get bigger, they're going to end up being held by you for the duration of the flight. And that means that if your child also doesn't have their own seat, they're going to end up sleeping on you probably at some point during the flight. Regardless of whether your child is being held by you or maybe they're in a car seat, it's not going to be a restorative night's sleep on the airplane. Maybe they'll get a few good consecutive hours. I would say if you get more than two or three, maybe even a few more, I would consider yourself very lucky. And, and it's possible, depending on the type of sleeper your child is, that they might wake up and go back to sleep. If you're really lucky and you have one of those great seats that reclines all the way back and your child can actually lay down and sleep, then that's clearly going to be a better set of circumstances you know, overall, but being on the airplane is not a, a restful experience in general. I mean, flight attendants are constantly walking by, offering you things, which is very nice of them and is also their job. Lights go on at random times. They make announcements arbitrarily. And those are all things that are not typical in your child's normal sleep environment. So it's not going to be a restful night's sleep. And I would expect that your child is going to be still pretty tired when you arrive. So if you're arriving and it's now morning time where you're going to be going, if your child is somebody who still takes a nap, then you're going to want to start working on getting their naps on their typical nap schedule as soon as you get there that day. I would say even if your child doesn't nap anymore, maybe they're four, five, six, even possibly a seven-year-old, they might still be able to nap on that first day when you get where you're going just because they're going to be very tired. And that might end up happening in a car. I wouldn't expect that you're going to get to a hotel room and be like, okay, everyone's going to lay down for a nap, but they might end up taking one on the go even though they don't normally nap at home. And that is totally fine because what you're trying to do is help them get to the next night when they can then go to sleep for the night rather than falling asleep for the night at like three o'clock in the afternoon, which might be bedtime at home, but certainly isn't where you're going to be going. One other note about naps while you're out of your familiar environment, and this could be the case if you're traveling internationally or you're not so far away from home, you know, it, it's not likely that you're going to go back to wherever you're staying or your, your hotel or your family's home or you know, wherever it is that you're staying for every single nap. So a nap that's in the stroller, a nap that's in the car is better than no nap at all. And this is going to help everybody just make sure that, you know, your child is getting what they need throughout the day, even if you're not in that like nice, normal, familiar or quiet environment of the sleeping space where they might be at night. So it is fine for naps to be on the go. A nap on the go, again, is better than no nap at all.
if you arrive in the evening, even if your child has slept on the plane, again, they're probably still going to be pretty tired. It also takes a while usually to get through the airport. Even if you're on your return trip and you're going back home, but maybe you don't have as much to get through in terms of immigration and customs, it still takes a while to get your luggage. It's just a process. So when you get where you're going, they're going to be ready to go to sleep because again, whatever sleep they had on the plane was probably not all that restorative. So once you get to your destination, your job is to really help to start to get your child on the local time zone. It's really important that you start, as I think of it, living in local time rather than, you know, in your head for however many days thinking, well, if we were at home, this is what time it would be and this is when he would normally be sleeping. No, you have to live in the local time zone. And so you want to start trying to push naps towards whatever time they would normally be at home. Also, you're going to be using natural sunlight and fresh air as much as possible, getting your child outside in between those naps to make sure that you're helping their body adjust to that local time and you're resetting that circadian rhythm. The other piece is you want to start making sure that they're eating during the normal times during the day. So daytime in whatever country you're going to might be nighttime at home and they're not used to eating them, but you want to start making sure they're getting food at those times so that now when it's nighttime in your travel destination that their body is starting to understand that now this is not a time that you're going to be eating. So my rule, once you get to your destination, is really what I sort of think of as the two-day rule. That means that you basically have two days to get your child on that local time zone and also two nights of really understanding that they may have disruptive sleep, they may be up in the middle of the night, and those things are all to be expected and totally okay. So your first night or two, your body is really adjusting to being on that new time zone, and it's not crazy, especially for a younger child who, you know, their feeding schedule may not be quite as set for them to be still, you know, hungry in the middle of the night, because again, that might be during the daytime when they were back at home. And so if, say, your child is still nursing or is getting a bottle, it's not crazy for them to maybe need one feeding in the middle of the night, even if they weren't eating in the middle of the night at home before, just because, again, you're helping their body adjust. I would try to keep it pretty minimal. You don't want to start introducing all sorts of night feedings all of a sudden. But in the first night, maybe the second night, if your child wakes up, you could do one feeding for sure. If by day two you really feel like, yeah, you had really good meals throughout the day today, then I would assume that any wake up at that point is probably not hunger. But if you needed to, you know, again, it is fine for the first two nights. By the time you get to night three, though, that means now, no, you're not doing any feeding at that point because they've had several days, two solid days of starting to be able to eat during local times. There may be a few times in those first two nights where your child wakes up and just seems very alert in the middle of the night because, again, they're used to it being daytime at that time. What's important is that you are treating it like night. So it may be impossible to keep your child in their sleeping space if they're just wide awake. So you might have to take them out. If it's truly the middle of the night, I would try to keep the lights off. And after about an hour, I would attempt to put them back in and see if they can go back to sleep at that point. And then after, again, 
two nights, you know, by night three, now any night wakening, I would treat the same way you treat any night wakening back at home. Now, of course, this is assuming that you've done some sort of sleep training and your child knows how to get themselves back to sleep. If they don't know how to do that, then I would say at any point that they wake up, you're going to have to help them back to sleep in the same way that you would do at home. But generally speaking, by night three, most of the time, your body is starting to adjust. And so you should be able to start to go back to any sort of familiar response overnight. And you should start to see some good consistency in terms of your child sleeping at the right time. Now, coming back home when you're returning, the same rules apply. And again, you get back home, the travel has been a little bit crazy, you have two days to kind of get things back on track, and there are some, and you can be a little bit more lenient about whatever sort of rules that you might have about night wakenings in those first two days by night three. Now you're going back to whatever was normal from before. One thing that I have seen come up, I have had a few emails come through about this recently, and I have memory of a few calls over the past years from families when they've traveled internationally. And it's usually when they get back home, it's like maybe it's on day two that they're back, and I'll get a panicked email saying, we're back and, you know, sleep is a mess. It's all over the place. It feels really bad. What do we do? How do we fix this? And I always say, let's give it a couple days. If it's not getting better, definitely reach out. Let's be in touch. And inevitably, I don't hear from them again because things have resolved themselves. So I, I do find that, especially once you're back home, there is that panic. Like if this is all, you know, not falling back into place quickly, then now we've ruined our child's sleep and it's all over at that point. Generally speaking, though, if you follow these rules, it's going to write itself. You just need those couple days to kind of get things straightened out and get back on track. I would say, actually, the hardest part about international travel with children is that you yourself are jet lagged. And it's not like in the days before you had children where you could just decide that you were going to take a nap whenever you needed to in order to help yourself re recover you know, your child may have different a different plan at that point. And so that can make things a little bit harder. I know personally, my husband and I traveled internationally this past summer by ourselves without the kids. And I experienced very little jet lag, mostly because I had full control over the times when I wanted to be sleeping. And so I was able to manage that. And we got where we were going. We had had a overnight flight the night before, but it was only like five hours. So I I don't think I actually really slept at all. And we got in in the morning. I stayed up for a while. I took a nap from like noon to three or something and then I was able to make it to bedtime and then I slept 12 hours at that point by bedtime I mean like literally we went to bed at seven o'clock that could also be because my husband chose to not take a nap and was delirious by the time seven o'clock rolled around but we had full control over when we wanted to be sleeping and so as a result that I actually had very little jet lag and it was the same on the return but all I could think of that whole trip was if my kids were little, I think now they're old enough that it wouldn't be as much of a problem, but if my kids had been little, that would have been really hard to do and really hard to manage because you don't always have those sorts of choices when you're traveling with children. So anyway, all that is to say, these things do get easier as kids get older, and I encourage parents to take trips on their own because it's a really important way to make sure you're still connected with your partner. 
Nonetheless, good luck to anybody who is venturing out of their local time zone and going far, far away. You can do this. Your child can still be a great sleeper even if you've traveled far away from home and you can still enjoy that time when you're away. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Definitely send us a message through our Instagram at Sleepy Cues Podcast. We'd love to hear how your international travel went. And we love when you guys write us those five-star reviews. So make sure you do that. And we'll talk to you again next time.